seated. We're in John chapter 15 this morning, verses 1 to 11. John chapter 15. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let us ask God to bless his word as it's read and preached this day. O Lord, we thank you for your word and how it draws us again to your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that we may be drawn to and not away, that we may be filled and not emptied, filled with your Spirit, that we may be those who receive a blessing and not a curse. O bless us now, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. As... You read John chapter 15, you need to be reminded the last words of John chapter 14. In verse 31, Jesus says to his disciples after the Last Supper, as it has been called, rise, let us go from here. And those are important words because those words are actually the words of what would be typically understood as a military commander commanding his soldiers before they are to go into battle. So this is not a sort of discourse in chapter 15 where you can quietly go and meditate and say, ah, this is the good stuff. It is the good stuff. But it's not a sort of uh, peaceful way to understand the mysticism of the Christian life. Rather, it is a call to arms in the midst of what for the disciples will be a time of great persecution, temptation, many onslaughts. And so what does our Lord say to his disciples as they are about to face the onslaught of the devil, of the Jewish religious leaders, of the world, so to speak, against who they are as they serve Christ in the next few days and weeks and months and years of their lives? What do you say? Will you assure them that if they're going to have any success, any victory, any hope, anything positive, It must come from the one who is about to die. I am the vine is what Christ speaks of next. And we don't know if he is walking with his disciples and they see a vine and he uses the occasion to illustrate a story. I tend to think that is very often the way Christ resorted to teaching about truths. 
he saw things and discoursed on them. Consider the lilies. I imagine there were lilies thereby. Or when he speaks of the sparrow or whatever it may be, people would have had vivid imagery right before their very eyes. Now, whatever the case, he speaks of a vine and branches. And if you are a Jewish disciple, as they were back then in this context, and he brings up the vine and the branches analogy, this is actually something that is a little bit of a problem. Why is that? Well, very simply, in the Old Testament, whenever somebody brings up a prophet, that is, the illustration of the vine and the branches, it is always with a negative outcome. It starts off positive, God plants the vine, but there's a negative outcome. The, it turns to wild fruit, or it doesn't bear fruit, so there's judgment. So when Jesus says, I am the vine and the branches, there's a sense in which, if you don't fully understand Christ, you could be like, oh no, here we go again. Failure is inevitable. Why is that? Well, because Jeremiah will speak about that in chapter 2, verse 21. For example, he will say, uh, as God does, I planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? You read uh, later on in Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, the same idea. You read Isaiah chapter 5, and it speaks of the vine and how it then turns to bloodshed and evil instead of producing fruit. You can look at Ezekiel chapter 15. You can read the psalm that we did earlier, Psalm 80 or Hosea 10. The point is the vine and the branches illustration, the metaphor, the imagery in the Old Testament is not a good happy ending. But this is a little bit different because the purpose of this story here is that Jesus Christ can give true life to Israel because of His life-giving qualities and also because of the Father's pruning. So why will this vine be successful? Because Jesus Christ is at the center of its life-giving qualities and the Father is invested in everyone who truly belongs to Jesus Christ. So that is the purpose. But who are the characters? And this is very important. We understand the characters in this story. It's very obvious to me that Jesus Christ is one of the characters. He says, I am the true vine. This is the last of the I am sayings. It's the seventh. I am the true vine. But also the Father. And my Father is the vine dresser. So very simply, first verse, two characters. The Son and the Father. But there's another character, or shall we say characters, that you need to pay attention to. And this is where we can go astray in our thinking, in interpreting this section, if we don't get this right. Who are those who belong to the vine? Are they only the elect, the true people of God, or is it the visible church? Those who may in fact be hypocrites, those who may in fact be goats, those who may not truly belong to Jesus Christ, though they seem to belong to Jesus Christ by their outward conduct and their outward profession. Now, I think the only sane answer to understanding this section is to view this as an illustration of the visible church in which there are indeed people who do not truly belong to Jesus Christ as well as those who do. So keep that in the back of your mind as we look 
at what Christ has to say. Notice the first point that the Father is the one who is at work. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He, that is the Father, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He, again the Father, prunes that it may bear more fruit. And you will look down to verse 8 and see, by this, and that is all of the fruit bearing and judgment in between, by this my Father is glorified. So the Father is the vine dresser. He is the one who has the specific work that He alone can do. Now, I had to try and do a little bit of research into how this all works in in terms of those who are vine dressers, not being a person who has a great skill in that area. In fact, I often tell people I literally have like one or two talents that I try to get the most out of, and in every other area, I'm pretty much useless. If you were to look at my garden, you would see that if there's anything good or commendable in it, it is from the hand of Bart, not from the hand of Mark. Though I did mow the lawn uh, on Saturday, um, but who can't mow a lawn? <laughs> so I did my research. And lo and behold, in my research, I came across somebody who deals with vines in California, in Silicon Valley, where he uh, was explaining that even in the 21st century, they haven't developed technology where a machine can go and look in all of the branches and do the work that needs to be done by the machine, knowing which one to cut, which one to leave, and all of that. He says you still need, even today, someone to go around with their shears and do the necessary work of pruning. You still need an individual. There are no machines that just take care of that and someone can go sip their pina colada watching their grapes blossom and say, isn't this fun? And the point is, there's only the Father who can do this work. It is His work alone. He is the vine dresser. He is the one who does the pruning. He is the one who does the cutting off. It belongs to Him. And what does He do? Well, notice in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He cuts off. So on the one hand, he does the cutting off, but there is another type of branch that does bear fruit. And what does he do to that branch? He doesn't say, oh, well, this is doing well. I'll just leave it alone. Seems to be doing just fine. He says, no, even the branch that is bearing fruit, I want it to bear more fruit. And so I'm going to prune it so that it may bear more fruit. And he is doing all of this for his glory, but what does it mean that he prunes the branches? Well, I think it definitely means that sometimes he is going to work in our life in a number of different ways, one of which may be a little bit painful. And if you read Hebrews chapter 12, you get this idea of pruning in order to bring fruit. And what is the pruning? Well, for the moment, all discipline seems what? Enjoyable. That's what the Greek word means. See, that's why you shouldn't say that. Because nobody really knows. They go, oh, okay, the Greek word actually means the opposite of what the English word says. No. It actually means it is painful rather than pleasant. 
The pruning is painful rather than pleasant. But why are we disciplined? Why does the Father prune? Well, the author of Hebrews says later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Same idea. The Father has a distinct work and it is His work alone. But notice also in connection with the Father's work, there is a massive emphasis on union with Christ. Those words abide in me are scattered throughout over and over and over again. You see that in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Look at verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see it in verse 7. You see it in verse 9. The point is, and this is an extremely important point because Jesus mentions it several times just in this short discourse, If you are going to have any success, any hope, any joy, any fruitfulness in the Christian life, it must be from union with Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. Nothing. But in Him, you can do everything. That's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ and in Christ who gives me strength. And what is it that you are supposed to do? You are to bear fruit. And what is that fruit? What is that fruit that he is saying that you are to bear? So that as the Father prunes you, you bear more fruit. Now, the only real distinction, the only real distinction between a true Christian and a false Christian in the visible church, and it's important for us to understand this because of what we read here, is fruit bearing, is the work of the Spirit in their lives. Giving money doesn't make you a Christian. Plenty of hypocrites have given money. Going to church doesn't necessarily make you a Christian, though you should go to church. Singing hymns doesn't make you a Christian, though you should sing hymns. Praying doesn't necessarily make you a Christian, though you should pray. But what makes you a Christian is the work of the Spirit. That is what distinguishes the true from the false. It is the work of the Spirit that leads to what? That leads to love. Love for God. Love for Christ. Love for your neighbor. Love for your enemy. If you are not marked by love, you are not a Christian. You are not. That's what's being said here. If you are not marked by joy, whereby there is an inner joy that you know where your soul is hid with Christ on high, that you're going to be with Him in glory forever, that you can be secure in this world despite all of the many changing circumstances. If there's not joy, you are not a Christian. If you do not have an inner peace because your sins have been dealt with, they've been nailed to the cross, and that you are justified and you have peace with God, you are not a Christian. And if you do not have patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control, you are not a Christian because the fruit of the Spirit leads to all of those qualities. And you must have them. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. 
Christ says those words, make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized, it is known by its fruit. And all for the glory of God. You see that in verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, the Father will work in your life so that He will make sure He is glorified. That's the point. And the good news is the one who glorifies Himself is also the one who is good, the one who is patient, the one who is merciful and kind. And so you can trust that His work in your life is not an evil work, but a good work. But there is also a solemn message here because there's also the curse of not being in union with Jesus Christ. So, Notice in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, some Calvinists, and they're not really Calvinists, they, they may be, but they make a mistake here. They don't know what to do with this. They read other passages. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of salvation, or John chapter 10 that no one can snatch them out of their hands. And they see this and they go, I don't know what to do here. Oh, I know what I'll do. Actually, what the Greek can mean, and actually grammatically this is true, is every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. So they say he lifts up. So they see a branch, it's not bearing fruit. And so instead of just cutting it off because it's not bearing fruit, he lifts it up into the sun and then it will start to bear fruit because no one can be cut off from Christ. You can see why they might want to adopt this interpretation. There is one significant problem with that interpretation. And that's verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, it does not seem to me that with all of the contortions one can do in verse 2, that he sees a branch not bearing fruit, he says, oh, I'll lift this one up into the sun. And we say, oh, see, no branch is in any jeopardy. When you look at verse 6, there is a clear echo of judgment for those branches that do not bear fruit. And reading Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, we are told, the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So other places in Scripture testify to the fact that you can be cut off. Romans 11 is really about that. So if you say this is only speaking about the people of God, you have to adopt the interpretation that those truly belonging to Jesus Christ can lose their salvation. That clearly is not the case. What this is saying is that there are many in the church, some of whom are hypocrites, and they will eventually be cut off, whether in this life or the life to come. Now you might be asking yourself, why would you, if you are pruning and cutting, why would you go around and cut off a branch and have it fall to the ground and die? What does that look like in the church and why would that happen? And I think you might be a little bit startled by this. And please don't say that I didn't warn you. Why do some people leave the church in this life? That's a fascinating question. And here's one answer. 
I'm only giving one answer. Just like tonight, I'm only going to be giving one or two reasons for why uh, certain things happen. Uh, the answer is very simply this. There are some people who leave the church because in the Father's work upon the whole church, in order for you to bear more fruit, He has to cut some of them away because they are going to keep you from bearing fruit. That's what this is saying. There are people who because of their lives and their conduct will keep the church from bearing fruit because of their own rottenness. And the Father cuts them off. Now, is it true that some people may be cut off who never truly belong to Christ and one day later repent and turn? Yes, absolutely. I heard a glorious story of that this morning. But the point nevertheless remains that when you look at what Christ is saying is the Father does cut off some branches so that other branches may bear more fruit. And that's the Father's work. So then you're sitting here wondering, well, how does one make sure they abide in Christ? And if you aren't asking yourself that question, you should. Now, there's one way of looking at it. You abide in Christ because of the work of the Father, which is clearly testified to in verse 2, the work of the Son, in whom we have union and gives us every life that we have, and the work of the Spirit that brings to fruition the work of the Son and the Father. But there's also our responsibility from the other side, and you see that in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So, we are to receive the words of Christ and we are also to offer words to Christ. And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish. How do you abide in Christ? You keep up communion with Him just as His words fill you. So you take those words back to Him and you ask in His name. You pray to Him. You seek Him. How do you abide in Christ? His words fill you. Your words go to Him. You also receive His love. In verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. One of the lost arts of Christian discipleship is this, meditation. Meditation upon God's love. Thinking about what God has done for you. It's not prayer. Meditation is not prayer. It's simply thinking about all that God has done for you, all that God will do for you. It's taking all of the gospel truths and just thinking about them and delighting in them. In other words, there's a sense in which you simply just think about what God has done for you and you abide in His love for you. But then there's also keeping commandments. See verse 10? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now this is a shocking statement. How does Jesus abide in His Father's love? We're talking about the eternal Son of God abiding in the love of the Father and He has no problem saying the way in which I abide in my Father's love is keeping His commandments. And that is how we abide in the Father's love. We keep His commandments. And this takes a long time. For more fruit to be able to be evidenced, it takes a long time. There's no secret shortcuts in the Christian life. You could go away, as many do, on a short-term missions trip 
and come back on fire for the Lord. That fire burns out quickly. I know. I went away once to Brazil. Very holy people down there. And singing is great. I was in my kid's school the other day and I got there early at lunch and they were having chapel and I thought, you know, this is why boys don't sing at school. These are all songs designed for girls with really nice voices. I'm serious. It was awful. God of wonders, God of judgment, we sung earlier. That's what we should be singing at school. I'd love to see the school sing that hymn we sang earlier. It would be quite remarkable. But I went to Brazil and all of a sudden the men were singing with power and they were pumping their fists when they sing. It was awesome. I just pumped my fist too. All right. And after I felt like, okay, I, we need to go out and fight someone now. <laughs> we didn't. And I was on the plane and I was thinking, wow, I'm so fired up for the Lord. I'm going to go back and my wife's going to be like, what happened to Mark? He's so sanctified. And then I see Duty Free on the way back. And I watch a movie on the plane and get back and the kids are saying, what did you buy me? And this and that. And all of a sudden I realize, no, Mark, you're just back to square one again, aren't you? And the point is, is that there's no shortcuts. You don't just get to have a massive blossom of fruit like that. It takes time. It, it takes the Father's pruning. You're in it for the long haul. And most of the time, it's not even perceptible to us. In other words, it's not perceptible to you, the individual. I still had to deal with some nefarious characters in our church, one of whom was an elder this morning. And they started joking about how I used to act when we played soccer 15 years ago and with Mike O'Donoghue. And they're like, this guy's the pastor and he's running around and he's trying to score the goals and take the glory and this and that. And look at how far you've come. I'm like, no, I'm just old and can't do that anymore. If I could, I still would. They says, oh no, you've come a long way. And I go, no, I haven't. I was holy then and I'm holy now. And the point is, I don't really actually have any compass myself to recognize any change. Most of the time, it's not going to be that observable to us, but it will be to others. And others will see the fruit. Well then, let's close with a few. See, we've rushed out of time. I'm going to skip one or two points. But I want you to understand something important about uh, that awful word that sometimes get utters in the church, works in the Christian life. And I think one of the problems is we speak about works in the Christian life where it's a little bit depressing. You hear about the glories of salvation, the gospel, free grace, and then go works, and you go, oh yeah, we have to be careful about that. Yeah, we do have to be careful but works are understood here as fruit, as blessing, as a harvest, as a gift, not just mere duty. And we have no power to produce any works, any obedience apart from Christ. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we are called His workmanship. And we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, union with Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, Christ is working out His life in you and me through His Spirit as we abide in Him. And something I notice most interesting, if you just go back to John chapter 14, verse 15, there's a sort of circular aspect to this. Notice the order. If you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. Love leads to the keeping of commandments. But then notice in chapter 15, verse 10, look at the order. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The point is very simple. As you love God, you keep His commandments. As you keep His commandments, you love God. In other words, you could say to love God is to keep His commandments. And to keep His commandments is to love God. The other point that we see from this is that the Father will leave no one alone in this church. Nobody sitting here is going to be left alone who belongs to the visible church. He will touch you. The question is whether He will prune you or whether He will actually cut you off. And He does cut off. I had someone phone me this week. Wonderful. Good friend of mine. Fine gentleman. And uh, when Mike called me, he said, uh, he asked a theological question. And you know, it's nice, because you know, I pick up the phone, and I think, oh, Mike's going to criticize me again and yell at me and all that and make me cry, but I'll answer because I need it. You know, he asked me a theological question, and it's a very good question. And I, loved, I sent him a book back, actually. I said, I wrote a book on this. Here you go. I sent you, didn't I, Mike? You got the book. I sent you Word and PDF. No complaints then. And the point is that, yes, there are in the mystery of God, there are people who show a lot of outward evidence. They seem to walk the walk, talk the talk. They seem to do a lot, but for one reason or another, they are not actually bearing the fruit that God judges to be true fruit. Not you judge to be true fruit. God judges. That's why He is the only vine dresser. That's why that doesn't belong to me or to you. Imagine we had to go around. I'd be cutting myself off to begin with and then probably taking half a dozen of you with me. Seriously. Oh no, he's not bearing any fruit. She's not bearing any fruit. Oh, you come with me, you too. But the point is, God alone knows who is bearing the fruit that he deems to be fruit. He sees the patience. He sees the love. He sees the gentleness. We see that in part. He sees it in the whole. But whatever the case is, you will not be left alone. And I think that one of the easiest ways in which you can go through the pruning is actually to be in church, to receive His Word, and to let His Word do the work. That's the better type of pruning, I can assure you. There's a more painful type of pruning, which we spoke of in Hebrews chapter 12. It doesn't seem enjoyable. But when you come and you listen and you believe and you sing and you pray and you take God's Word in, that's God pruning in your life. That's God working in your life. And that's God letting His Word do its work. But then I want you to notice one last thing. That God cut off our Lord Jesus Christ. He cut off the Lord Jesus Christ so that you would not have to be cut off, so that you could remain in Christ. It's the most remarkable thing that some of the language here that we see for cutting off and letting die is actually language whereby the Father cuts Him off, as Isaiah says, from the land of the living. That He is cut off and He withers on that cross and He dies. 
because He takes all of our sins to Himself and so the Father cuts Him off. But the remarkable thing about the Gospel is not only does the Father cut Him off as an act of judgment upon Christ who takes our sins, but because Christ is the Son of God, death was not able to hold Him and He is raised as a life-giving branch so that all of the branches that belong to Him will bear fruit. You will bear fruit because Christ was raised from the dead. He was cut off so that you may not be cut off. He was raised so that you may bear fruit. And so the one simple question for you to leave with this day is to say, Father, I desire that I may bear fruit for Your glory and that I may bear fruit because Christ is in me, the hope of glory. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we need to hear these words. There's an echo of comfort and joy, but there's also an echo of warning. And we pray we will know how to navigate both the joy and the comfort with the warning. So let us abide in Christ and not in ourselves. Let us recognize that You are the vine dresser, we are not. And let us always remember that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Bless us as your people to that end that you may be glorified in us as we bear fruit for your glory. Amen. Have the offering before our final hymn.